Hey, g'day. It's Matt Legg. This is the Fibre Performance Podcast, and I'm here today with my good mate, Ken Ware. Hello, everybody, and thank you, Matt, for having me on the show. You. And welcome to the Neurophysics Therapy Institute-Clinic. Yeah. Now, Ken is my miracle mate. Uh, manages to get a lot of people out of wheelchairs and walking again, or maybe even doing marathons, triathlons, that sort of thing. Um, but also works with a lot of elite athletes, works with a lot of athletes that have been through extreme sports, extreme athletes, mm-hmm. like a lot of fighters, big wave surfers, mm-hmm. um, combat sports, but then also working with a lot of endurance athletes and other athletes to achieve amazing performance. I'm not an athlete, surprisingly, but um, a lot of the stuff that Ken has actually taught me, I take back into my own world where mm-hmm. it makes me work better, um, makes me more efficient, makes me a better you know, husband, father, boss, and all that sort of stuff. Just a lot of those things that help everyday life. So keep check out everything Ken does. Like just after this podcast, just go through YouTube, go through every bit of stuff and watch all of his videos and you'll actually learn so bloody much. Today, what I want to talk about is, I want Ken to kind of explain a little bit about his theories around um, stress, angst, aggression. I want to talk about things like stretching, cramping, muscle tension, and everything Mm -hmm. like that, and in regards to performance in particular, whether you're a hybrid athlete, CrossFit athlete, power lifter. You've done most of it, haven't Mm -hmm, you? mm -hmm. Yep. Mr. Universe and all those fun things. Well, tell us a little bit. So what have you done? You did a power... What is your powerlifting records too? Because I keep forgetting this. Yeah, well, it was back... My bench press powerlifting record, the last time I broke it, that was 40, and that was the open bench press class. So that stood still for 12 years. Um, It was 205 kilos, but I did that without a shirt on, a press shirt on. Everybody else to even break that, they had to do it with those shirts on. Um, But powerlifting was always just something a means to an end because I used to use powerlifting to really stimulate my nervous system so I could deal with lots of high order stress and demand, but I always lifted in a very composed manner as people who competed against me used to become aware of. Um, but it was that whole thing, once you got the nervous system at that level, then I could use that to do what I needed to do for bodybuilding. So in terms of you know, higher levels of stress, demand, intensity factors of training over time, I mean able to tolerate, um, you know, I shouldn't say tolerate because I did it always relatively easy. Um, the eating programs I used to use for that, um, I never wore it on my sleeve. People used to go on these competitions, and, and even though you were, I was living in Mackay at the time, so a very conservative type of place. Um, I'd never walked around without a shirt on, um, those type of things. People would have been a little bit freaked out by that back in those days. Um, but I managed to win Mr. Universe living from Mackay um, at the end of the day. And then people would say to me, you know, but you couldn't possibly be doing what you, do, what you talk about now back in those days, but it actually was. Yeah. And as the program, when you came, first came to the to Starboard is there, that program that you first learned from, that's still exactly the same thing that we used to do. I was 12, yep. just for perspective. So I met Ken when I was 12, I popped into his local gym, yep. um, because Ken was on TV doing this bicep thing for the old <laughs> APG glass or something, I think. My dad was like the Australian wrestling champion, his heyday, mm. and he'd talk about um, aesthetics not being functional. Mm-hmm. But here we are talking about someone that was Mr. Universe bodybuilding around the same time you were doing the powerlifting? Yeah, powerlifting, like I said, powerlifting would always be, be pre-exist the, the bodybuilding efforts. So I'd do that then. As soon as I'd finish the bodybuilding, I'd go back and do some more powerlifting. Um, and consequently, I was always much lighter as a powerlifter because I wasn't doing the volume work. So for me, um, to have the muscle size I had, that was all about volume training. You know, yep. Lots of short, intense workouts, a lot of work done in a very small period of time. 
So we're aware that a sprinter's legs are always going to be bigger than a little distance runner's legs, so because they've got to do a lot of work in a short period of time. But it's how much work is, is beneficial and how much isn't, and that's the key component here. So we have this hormesis type of curve, where we think about anything, you know, hormesis is often being used um, in medical senses, where what is the ideal dose of a toxic substance that we can give to a person who's got some condition that's going to boost their immune system, but if we give them too much, they're going to die. So we need to learn what that is. So anything coming up on this side of the curve is beneficial. Anything going down the other side is not beneficial. And once you start that trajectory, you're probably going to keep firing down until you go below your baseline measurement metabolic rate. And you're going to stick there for a period of time until your system forgives you for that effort and come back up. So people misunderstand the ability to be able to perform longer with some level of fitness. And fitness is the organism's ability to adapt to the stresses that they find itself in the environment. But then we can often call this maladaptive responses to it, where their metabolism is slowing down more and more. Yep. I needed to spike my metabolism, which is the other reason why I do a lot of sprint training instead of other things, spike my metabolism and leave up here. So it takes a long time for my system to return back to this metabolic, baseline metabolic state, but it never will because I'm spiking it again and again in the yep. meantime. But that ideal th um, zone there, you know, I learned many, many years ago that that's about 20 to 30 minutes okay. of moderate to intense effort to do it. You can go and do all sorts of cortisol testing on people and all that sort of thing. You're going to find that their cortisol levels are going to keep increasing more and more the longer they stay at. We need cortisol to help form memory and adaptions mm. and those sort of things, but too much, no good. Not enough, no good. Yep. So what is that ideal state? So I was drawing that out many, many years ago, and it wasn't until you know, later on that I... I realised that there was an actual model that had been used historically yeah. to describe all this. Um, so that was the way that I thought about it and deeply within myself and I was just applying that to other people when they came to the centre. So they were following the same rules and yeah. principles that I was. I always knew that posture was very paramount to how we perceive and respond to our environment. So that was the rule. So nobody that I'm ever teaching today is doing anything different than what I would apply to myself to yeah. get a result. And the point that you made before matter about how things that you've learned um, from yourself or you learned within yourself um, and how you apply it to your everyday life. Everything we do has got to have that transferability. It doesn't matter whether you're a high performance athlete, how is this going to transfer into my survival in my real world yeah. and not be disassociated from a real world because that gap can be bloody difficult to fill. See, this is the trend. So we've been doing a series of podcasts you know, for the Fiber Performance Podcast, we're talking to people about breathing, talking to people about dietary changes, a lot of exercise sort of stuff as well. We went through this era with the cold baths and all these bits and pieces. Um, and even in regards to psychology and trauma counseling or trauma rehabilitation, the pattern that I'm seeing is in order to <coughs> induce adaptation, <coughs> we need to create some sort of stress. Stress, yes. Okay, so we need to create a stress response where our body must adapt to <coughs> that stress. And then what we need to do is create a positive adaptation, mm. preferably. Yes. So you're either going to adapt to your stress negatively or positively. <coughs> now, what I've noticed as a pattern, when I talk to the psychologist dudes, they're talking about just screwing around with emotion attached to the memory. When we're talking to the breathing guys, they're talking about, you know, oxygen deprivation. Mm -hmm. And, but... Staying calm through that, mm -hmm. maintaining a calm posture, maintain. So basically, the, what I'm trying to say is a lot of these things that trigger positive adaptation combine two major things a challenge or a stress mm -hmm. yep. combined with a um, relaxed, non stressed, 
mm-hmm. physiological response. So mm-hmm. basically trying to build resilience by stressing yourself out without getting stressed. So for mm-hmm. example, jumping in an ice bath. If you get into an ice bath which stresses your body out, triggers a survival response. Now, if you're there grinding your teeth, if you're there with your traps up, you're there shaking, you're there in the tents, mm-hmm. you're there frowning and you're like <laughs> for your couple of minutes, you're going to get a negative adaptation yes, to that stress. Yeah. If you are capable of quoting Wim Hof method, then mm-hmm. you should be able to do the Wim Hof method, which is that calm breathing. Mm-hmm. It's the no frowning. It's mm-hmm. the traps mm-hmm. down. It's a good posture while you're sitting in the ice bath where your body will trigger an adaptation. Mm-hmm. If you're doing these breathing techniques, the <clears throat> take breathing method or whichever one it is that creates an oxygen deprivation mm-hmm. that might trigger normally a panic response, mm-hmm. If you can do that but remain calm mm-hmm. and remain stress-free again, looking at your posture, mm-hmm. controlling the way your brain is thinking, then you can acquire a positive adaptation mm-hmm. with mitochondrial sort of stuff. So the psychologists will often do the same thing. They'll try to talk to you through your trauma or mm-hmm. get a memory, but then trying to screw around with the emotion attached to that mm-hmm. memory, whether it's through changing posture again, or also changing your emotion attached to that memory. So every one of these things, it's almost like they're trying to reprogram the system by putting you into a stressful situation, but teaching you how to deal with it without angst, aggression, mm-hmm. and a defensive posture. So with what I've noticed over you over the years, with the work that you do with people, you do put people into a very confronting, stressful situation and where they have to, they assess themselves. Mm. But the whole goal of it is, from a very simplistic Mm. view, is to actually challenge yourself, stress yourself out, but maintain a safe posture, maintain a good posture so that your body will do a positive adaptation a healing adaptation Mm -hmm. rather than a catabolic short-term survival response. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest thing that I've learned from you where when I'm in a stressful situation now that would normally lead to me being defensive Mm -hmm. or aggressive or angsty, I can now learn these techniques that you've taught me to drop my traps, you know, Mm -hmm. stop the frown. I start with my feet actually. I push Mm -hmm. my heels into the ground. I've noticed as soon as I do that, my posture drops and Mm -hmm my traps drop and that sort of stuff. And I feel different. So that's a big part of it, isn't it? So with athletes, they should be it doing is. that. Huh? And, but there's still lots of variables in that. But so some people have that ability to, to look calm and composed, but underneath it, those feet are still going a million miles an hour. Yeah. And it's that the work that we do mainly is to find out what those feet are actually doing. So a person like the athletes go on training um, and they're able to perform all their repetitions and sets and they're going okay that composure wise. But all the time, it's just they've learned to desensitize to information coming from their bodies a lot better than what other people can do. Um, and it's that, that fact that they start ignoring information coming from their body. Um, whereas that whole ability to be able to appreciate the information coming from the body, but learn to package it into something that's going to be useful in the future. So when they come to us, if there's been a breakdown of any sort, and we start to, as I was explaining before, you know, we look in this environment here, it's a very stable environment. We know lots about everything that's going on in this environment but we don't know much about the system that walks into this environment and be it the athlete. So we need to find out, okay, so how is this athlete perceiving their environment? Because for us as a human being, perception is everything. How are we gonna perceive our world is how we're gonna be responding to it. So if we put them on any one of the particular machines, and we often use the, the um, peck fly to do this because this area here, these fibers are very intimately connected to the high order emotional processing and fear centers of the brain. So if something comes into the space, I'm going to protect it. The same stress comes to my shoulder, I'll probably use that my shoulder to bump it away. 
So there's a very mild stimulus. They have all the controls. Like there's no, nothing scary. They're in a safe, supported environment. But when you see them start to move that across their body slowly, that's when you'll start to see lots of these unjustified anxieties and fears start to emerge that they're How not really, really aware of. Yeah. Because that is their perception. We don't perceive our world as separate sight, sound, touch or smell. It's a flow of information that gets integrated in the association cortexes. So what we're doing is tapping into one of those sensory pathways to, to learn about how this person's perceiving their environment. Now, whatever we see in that first trial, if you wish that they go through it, and you can see that all taking place, that's attached to a whole heap of associative memories. Now, at a bigger scale, they can put on you know, half the stack and punch it out and look nice and composed. Yeah. Slow it right down, you see a completely different... Oh, the eyes open? And that well, as, well. Yeah, as soon yeah, as you close yeah, your eyes, it's like... Yeah, because we need to eliminate visual information because the visual system dominates the association cortexes, which is, that can be quite corrupted in terms of our eyes lying to us. And the eyes have a, um, a dedication to maintaining all our skills, you know, good, bad or indifferent. So the elite tennis player, of course, they're so well, I love tennis players and for this particular reason, is that they can go out onto a court any day of the, the week or month or whatever. The wind can be doing anything on any particular day. They don't watch the ball as it goes up to know where to hit it. Their sensory system, their, their visual system is so acute, acutely accurate to, to all that. So when they throw that ball up, You'll see them, and as they're coming through in slow motion, you'll see their hands will make an online correction to correct that ball to get it where it needs to be. So very highly attuned. But if a person's walking around with their posture like this, their depth perception, every single thing that relates to that, how the athlete's been training, if they're starting to drop their shoulders when they're doing their, their runs or whatever, or getting into a state where they become very foveal focused and they're not taking too much notice about the peripheral information coming in, then their visual system just adapts and is designed then to maintain that skill. So we have to take the visual system out to destabilize all those programs that are in there and then to, so that when they open their eyes again, they are to open their eyes slowly as if it's the first time they've seen the world. Um, so that then that starts to become integrated to what they've already started to achieve. But it's the detraining of those unjustified fears and anxiety responses to it. You always know, see people spontaneously cry. We've seen NRL player faint within yeah. the first couple of moments because all of a sudden he gave himself permission to relax and as soon as that happened, we started to see the sweats coming and you know, cold sweats happening, and then all of a sudden, boom, lights out. Now, that person can perform at a really high level, yeah. as, as a, but just things were going wrong, um, emotionally things were going wrong, and all for you know, probably justified reasons. So we can see that even though people can do things like be in the ice baths and do all that sort of thing and demonstrate a level of composure, You've got to look at, okay, what are they ignoring here as opposed to what are they appreciating about the experience there? And then be able to say, oh, this feels good yeah, and right. modify that, modulate that into something that's going to be useful because it can be useful, so whether it's a, a cold stress thing that through that part of the century, we're using heat or cold, dep oxygen deprivation or whatever the case may be. It's that ability to be able to, to appreciate what's happening to fully acknowledge what's happening and package it into something that you've got absolute authority over. And, and, and be aware the, of the sensory stimulation if you have awareness of it. Yeah. And then just package that into something. And, and letting your body know that you're doing this intentionally. Intentionally, yeah. Like your intent is to actually challenge myself yeah. for the purpose of improving. Yes. As opposed to, man, I'm struggling now. I don't know if I'll survive the day. Yeah. Let's put all of our resources into survival. So there's a big difference between survival and thrival. Mm -hmm. In fact, that I just made up that word, thrival. thrival. But um, it works, I think. <laughs> um, so what I'm thinking is, there's a lot of patterns that I'm noticing. You, know, you see people like um, 
Usain Bolt and that sort of stuff in slow motion. Mm. He looks like jelly. Yeah. Um, also, I see them before the race. They're, like they're smiling and laughing mm. and they're chilling. They're not amping themselves up. Well, they're, they're not can't. firing yeah. up. Well, they can't because they need to be so in the zone. You watch them calming themselves right down. They need to be so in the zone that when that start signal goes, they've got to respond to that in about 15 to 16 milliseconds. Yep. The start of the time with the average person is about 50 to 80 milliseconds. Yeah. And you see that getting worse and worse. You only got to pull up at you know, lights where the green arrow's going around and you see how long it takes people to react yeah. to that green arrow. Think, Why doesn't everybody just move? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're on like, the phone. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, oh my God, they wait till this car moves, then they start to react and say, oh my God, it's... But it's it, it, that reaction time is getting less and less because people are just stressed. By the time they take in that data and make sense of it, yeah. um, so many things have already transpired. Because, I mean, we can only take in so much data. At, at once, yeah, that's yeah. right. And that's the, the whole point with our phones and mobile phones, all that sort of things, where that's that's giving this visual system more dominance over yeah. everything. Oh, and by the way, that's my trick with that imagination creates your reality. Mm-hmm. You know that line when people say that, mm-hmm. your imagination creates reality? My perspective of that is we can only take so much data in at any one yeah. time. So I can choose which data I take in. Yeah. So if I, for example, if there's two million bits of data and I choose to take in 10, yeah. I'm going to select the 10 that's going to make me feel happy and good. So I'm not going to go and look yeah. at those other things, you know? Yeah, that's what they're the most self-serving to us, you know, and that's the whole point we've evolved exactly like that. But there's, we're just missing lots of information. But the more stressed the person becomes, the less information they take. Yeah. So too many bits of information go missing. And that's why... When they're doing the the pec fly that exercise, you'll see the iterations occur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we see the redundancy that's in their system. So when it, when you so you mean like so as we're going through, instead of being very smooth, smooth yeah, we'll so just be like point, that'll go. This will catch yeah, there's, up. There's a point to point distribution taking place, but we see the randomisation how things become random, yep. and that's relative to how they're taking in all bits of information from there. So yep. all of a sudden, and you can't make any prediction as to what's going to happen next within yep. the system. So it becomes very unpredictable. Okay, now, whatever we see is always relative to whatever's going on in their system, to good, bad, or indifferent. So that's good. Okay, now, if we correct this and we spend our time going through here, oops, there's the fear, there's the answer. Okay, stop it there, calm it down, get a sense of flow, distribution through your system. You know, being that gravity is this rule, it goes this way, and notion goes that way. So there's math involved in how our systems get structured there. We have four points of distribution, our hands and our feet. We're focusing on putting ourselves in that grid and we're just working through that nice and steady. If anything jumps outside of that grid, pull it back in the middle. So you're developing a centered experience of what's taking place. We don't need to be positive. We don't need to be negative. We need to be centered. Yep. That's our ultimate you know, goal is to be that, to create that centered experience and to be able to maintain a level of hierarchy. So when people talk to me about the mind, my attitude has always been that the mind is just a crude backup system. That if we don't engage at an executive level, we are most likely going to be influenced or driven by what, for that matter, what comes into mind. So it's just the brain doing its job. It's so there's no boss. No, no, no. They're, well, we, there is the boss, like the hierarchical system. There, that's our, you know, our front prefrontal lobes, all that sort of thing. Yeah. So those neurons have very strong axons. They can tell things to shut up really quickly yep. right, if they if they need to. So I've often used the. The metaphor that if you know you're a cardiologist you know, at a party and had a few too many drinks and somebody comes up to you and yeah matt we need you at the hospital there's been an emergency you know there's been an accident there's a two-year-old that needs emergency operation and people will say by golly i sobered up in a hurry yeah yeah well we know that's a real thing so how do they now suddenly override the effects of alcohol to get themselves coherent to yeah. go and do something that's very very important so that is that area of the brain doing its job so yes it can really control a lot of things so it's impulse control all that type of thing but the anterior cingulate in particular, 
that is the observer in it. So when people say to me, oh, I'm feeling anxious or this is taking place, and I said, well, how do you know that? And oh, what do you mean, how do I know? And it's not you know, as if I'm yeah. having a go at them. I said, no, no, you must be an observer or you wouldn't know you're anxious. Yeah, uh, right. So it is an anterior cingulate. So if you put your finger in the middle of your head there, but just a couple of inches below that, a little bit below that's the anterior cingulate. That is the observer, so it's there for error detection. So if I went to say something to you, and I'm oh, sorry, Matt, that's not correct. It was where was the little guy sitting that knew what I said was wrong to make that correction? Yeah. Okay, so that's very important. And that's the areas that we need to be connected to. So we observe, oops, there's a stress coming along there. Okay, stop it. It's an error. Yeah. And when we see that emerging here, that's a sensory perception error that's related to past associative experiences. Do we need to know what those experiences are? Not at all. We just need to correct the effect that those experiences have had yep. on that individual. Because that's something I noticed actually when I'm doing the treatment with you. Mm -hmm. Like Ken will be saying things like every millimetre matters, every mm -hmm. you know, blank piece of paper, mm -hmm. just go and assess everything. And like I remember back, like the amount of stuff you can think about in a 10 second rep is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like if you, for perspective, the amount of stuff I can think about in a backswing of a golf mm -hmm. and how quickly that is happening or like playing cricket, you know, by the pond ball come, the mm -hmm. amount of stuff as you're doing a just lifting the bat up, the mm. stuff that runs through your mind so quickly that can influence mm. actually how you're performing. And they're the sort of things that are popping up as you're doing a 10 second rep mm. with no weight. And then I'll go to Ken and say, oh, like I just had this vision or a memory of this thing. Yeah, whatever, don't make it famous. Yeah. And it's like, he don't actually give a shit about mm. what the, the, the trigger was. Yeah. It's actually more how your body manifests and with that trigger yeah. because, and that's not just taking the piss there, but that's a common theme I've seen with all the other psychologists and trauma mm. and everything as well. It's the actual event isn't as important as actually the pattern that you're stuck in yeah. and just breaking that cycle. Because once you break the cycle, the emotion attached to that memory and that just changes yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's not a matter of counseling as such yeah. and talking about it. It's a matter of calibrating you as awesome with it, yeah, and you can't. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It yeah. does. But you can't. Um, yeah, exactly. You're calibrating that, getting, putting things into a better perspective for yourself. But you can't erase memory at all. Like memory is, but the old goal is to stop those memories affecting how you behave. So, retrospective psychology. I've got to be sensitive to things here because it doesn't have a very good record. Taking yeah. people back into a, a place, um, we've seen there some you know, pretty nasty outcomes from from that. Because when those events actually happen. A person and to say, I'm like this, Ken is like this because this happened in he, at the, when he was young. Yeah. That's, that's linear psychology, yeah. very linear, where I can point out lots of famous people who've done amazing things for the human race, where they had horrendous childhoods and so forth. So it's not, it's not true to say that. But when you go back and you start looking at events like that through a, the adult lens, where in that between from there to there you've developed a whole heap of prejudices and biases and all sorts of attitude about life, and then you look at that and you start to become critical about that point, that's a different story altogether. But this is where we've got to be super, super careful. Right? Mm -hmm. What you've achieved in your life, every single thing you've achieved in your life, you're good, you're bad, you're indifferent, your relationships with people, the, the sport that you play, how good you got at things, it's all sensory dependent upon initial conditions within our system. You pull that plug out, you don't quite know what's gonna happen with the rest of it now. So it's like a whole heap of fiddlesticks all lined up in there. Yeah. So it's all one big communication network and you don't mess with that. All you're doing is moving things around where you're starting to say, I have this idea um, for whatever reason the idea comes from, that this is something that I sort of basically recall taking place when I was young 
as having some effect on me now. Things like that can emerge over life because your body is constantly trying to refine itself because, okay, right now, you know, I'm nearly 66 and so I've still, I still feel I've got a lot of years to go. So every now and then my body needs to sort of get into some type of state of resolution of different things and yeah. different things might come to mind. All it's doing is this cleaning house so we can get you through and develop better strategies so that can actually help get you through the next you know, 10 to 15 years. Yep. Um, this is what people refer to as midlife crisis a lot, yeah. a lot of times. But so we've got to be very careful of how we pull things out from down below. Yep. Because that's definitely going to affect the functional things. So all of a sudden, oh, well, I resolve, I seem to resolve that matter, that thing that took place when I was, I was young. But now I don't feel the same way about my partner anymore. Yeah, right. Uh, my yeah. relationships, my job, all these other types of yeah. things, because everything is dependent on it. So it's one big communication network. So it's like a massive grid of communication. If you put electrical charge into that grid, it's going to fix the whole thing. See, with that, with the naturopathic training, they always talk about like our, we kind of acquire, so we're born with certain innate stress responses, which are just generic sort mm -hmm. of responses whenever we get a trigger, you know, do a little bit with the immune system, do a little bit with the liver in case it's poison, do a little mm -hmm. bit here, stop it spreading, you yeah. know, just a generic sort of response. And then we acquire defense mechanisms based on our experiences as well. Mm -hmm. And this is where I talk to a lot of people and they say, oh, I've never been the same since, you yeah. know, and that sort of stuff. So they'll say, oh, this trauma happened or this injury happened or this uh, event happened and I survived it. But ever since I'm kind of stuck in this survival pattern. Mm. Um, so what, what often happens in a, from the naturopathic perspective is that your body survive that response so it gives itself a little pat on the back mm. and goes well let's just add this acquired stress response to our innate Easy. stress response and then whenever we get a stress trigger we won't wait to see what that trigger mm. is this time we're not going to wait to see if it's immune infection allergy toxic exposure environmental pain mm -hmm. trigger trauma it says we have a defense mechanisms that's worked before let's just do that again yeah, yeah, yeah. so one i noticed is there's some people out there that are running through this regular physiology, this, this constant pattern that they get stuck mm. in, and they can't understand why. And the point is, is the trigger, it's been and gone. Mm, yes. It's actually the acquired lessons mm. that are stuck. And so one of the most fascinating things with the work that you're doing in regards to the calibration stuff is that from my perspective, again, I see that it helps people where you are who you are through your experiences, mm -hmm. everything you've been through. We can't go back and change that. We can't necessarily take that away and that sort of stuff. But here you are now, you have, you're still here. Mm -hmm. You've got opportunity to grow. You've got always the ability to adapt, heal and all that sort of stuff. And so a lot of the work you're doing is almost calibrating fresh as often as necessary to say, Hey, this is me on a rock spinning around mm -hmm. another big rock and all that sort of stuff. like all this sort of stuff happening and here i am i'm capable of sitting here right now now if i was under attack right now if i was being mm -hmm. poisoned if i was flinging off the earth because gravity's gone if any of those sort of things were happening right now there is no way i would be able to close my eyes drop my traps and stop and do a 10 second rep mm -hmm. like it's almost like screwing with your brain yeah. to say um, like seriously, that can't possibly be happening mm. right now. So like if you might have a memory or a trauma or something running through your mind, a trigger might mm -hmm. happen. But the fact that you're doing this, the brain goes, there's no way this dude's being attacked by yeah. a lion right now. 
There's yeah. no way because if he was, he'd be like doing like yes. panicky yeah, things, you know. So is that is that it's part it, of the therapy? And that's, and that's part of the, the main thing is perception, which we're always perceiving our environment. Action when we need to be acting on on the environment in some prescribed manner, and then cognitively manipulating the outcome. So unless those three are all lined up at the same time, so there needs to be an applied stressor coming in at a at a, a certain speed that can form those adaptions. So that's what we call a meta, metabotropic um, neurotransmission. And we're, we learn from that as opposed to fast, but that's inotropic. So it's not gonna, it's just a transiting experience. It doesn't really have any value. So it's like some random conversation you had with a stranger at a mm -hmm. nightclub. You don't retain that information. Mm -hmm. So things need to come in slow and steady. And then some, well, a sudden bit of anxiety might, or a memory might emerge about something. They go stop it there, calm it down. So anything we experience, involves neurons firing in a certain sequence to create that experience. If we're not happy with that or we believe that that's influencing our behavior in some way, in a negative way, then we need to correct that. And as soon as we take control of that at that executive level and start overriding what's going on, get rid of the middle guy, that mind stuff, so we need to go executive straight to the mainframe. So in reality, as time goes on, nothing really should come to mind until mm -hmm. you put it there. Or if something does come to mind, it's something of total relevance. Oh, geez, I forgot to do such and such. Where it's clean space because mm -hmm. you're getting rid of all that clutter. And I've said to you know, often to myself, we set up a whole heap of obstacles for a person when there's fires and nasty things here, there, and everywhere. And we said to them, so do you believe you can walk through here um, and not hurt yourself? And they have a look and they oh, yeah, I reckon I can give that a go. And they get to the other side and say, so that's it, I did it. So, well, how did you do that? Well, I just avoided those things. Yeah. Really simple. And um, did you pretend they weren't there? No, of course I acknowledged they were there. I just avoided them. That's navigating physical space. If we want to navigate emotional space, it's the same thing. Why would you go and touch that thought if you yeah. don't know it has a history of hurting you? Yeah. But we have these wonderful laws of energy conservation to deal with. So the, the laws of energy conservation says energy must be conserved. It's easier for us to maintain existing patterns of behavior than adopt new ones. So the system's gonna constantly, so when you're doing something and there's these people, there's things yelling at you from the sideline, it's that, no, Matt, no, no, we need to stay the same, don't do that, yeah. trying to, try to maintain this consistency. Your system couldn't give a damn, good, bad, and different. It's designed to maintain our patterns of behavior, and that's our reality. Yeah. So it's only when we recognize at another level, no, this is no good for me, this is not gonna get me to where I need to be in five years' time or 10 yeah. years' time, then we've got to set about taking that control. And that's going to take a lot of conscious effort for a period of time until these new... Is that why training works so well? Like, you know, with training, like with muscle memory and stuff like that, like just repeating these patterns over and over again, making them more efficient, but also building into that that muscle memory. So when, when you are exhausted and when you're tired or when you're stressed, like just these default pathways kick in that are actually... Like efficient. Yeah, it, it's all about the maintenance. Everything is about the brain. It's all the imagery that's up in the brain. Like you can sort of say, you know, we, we talk about muscle memory. You sort of say, well, hypothetically, if you took the head off a person who's never trained in their life yeah. and stuck it on this person who's done lots of training and all that type of thing, the muscle memory wouldn't be there to go and do yeah. <laughs> X, Y, Z. It's, it depends on that, yeah. that brain to organize itself. So I much. used to do a lot of work with fighters and that. And I noticed there was a couple of fighters that only ever won if they were like knocked out in the first round. Mm. And like did the whole fight uncon like pretty well. I can't even remember the fight. Not a football players and that too. They used to perform better when they were totally dissociated and knocked out, just running back on muscle memory yeah, and yeah. not thinking too much. You well, know? that's when they are totally into that survival mode, you know. Yeah. Because so, the, the the muscle memory, like I said, that can be a lot of 
traumatic experiences with the yeah. way the person has been training in the past, you know, so it's trying to override those past experiences with that to be able to get a better growth factor. Um, so it's like my shoulder yeah. <laughs> that um, you know, I had the complete shoulder yeah, reconstruction, yeah. Uh, replacement, not a reconstruction, a replacement done seven weeks ago. And um, you know, so when we talk about memory and influence, I should not be able to do anything like this at the moment. No. I shouldn't be able to do, I'm back training, I'm doing you know, nice good control movements and so forth. But that's because all the programs that I built it put into place before I had the operation, before I had the procedure, which took four hours instead of 90 minutes because the surgeon had to do a wonderful job of peeling everything back and putting it right back in the right place. So fantastic surgeon. Um, you know, when, when all that, by the time I come out, for starters, I had no pain, which yeah. was just you know blowing people away that there was no pain at all. Um, just things were sore where cut, clavicles were cut and so on. But it was because I did, I got myself in really good shape before I went in there. Um, I was doing lots of unilateral, which is something that's not common to what I do. So it's like, so the hemispheres of the brain were being very uniformly dis, uh, stimulated in that sense. So left, right, left, right, same thing I was doing with all my leg movements, exactly the same whenever I could. So by the time this, all this interference, like this little bit of perturbation to my system, so to speak, the system had all this knowledge, pre-existing knowledge to set about very rapidly trying to restore this landscape that yeah. I'd already built there before. So I could come down um, within the next day after the operation, I came back down into the clinic, and even though I had my arm in the sling, um, to look at me, I wasn't doing one arm push-ups off that Smith machine there, and to look at how balanced I was with my feet, and that you'd swear that other arm was, was holding on to yeah, it. Yeah, wow. So, and I was just thinking, as I was doing the other movements, left arm, right arm, still kept repeating those patterns. Huh. And literally, I could go back upstairs and just lie there and you just feel all this, even though it's all brain activity, just feel all this stuff happening and yeah, my wow. arms start to twitch and do, you know, do yeah, really wow. nice things. And it didn't, everything just came back online so fast. Because the body's um, more like, it works more like a, like a flock of birds sort of thing, <clears throat> where <clears throat> so, you know, things react <clears throat> around to the cells nearby, you yeah, know, yeah. as opposed to there's no boss like yeah. in the flock of birds, they just seem to know There's no central to move government. together. So no, no central government. They're all, and you know that's the thing we talk about. It as, and we are exactly the same. We're a deterministic, chaotic system, which is a contradiction in terms. That system, the flocks of birds, is deterministic because we know what the rules are. So each bird is just communicating with its nearest neighbours, those nearest neighbours with their nearest neighbours, but collectively they do yep. this incredible thing. Right? So the interesting thing about that phenomena is, is that each bird, like as we're sitting here now, we all have our own individual things. The birds, they're grooming themselves, having sex, eating, all that type of thing. The predator comes along and they transition into this other state and where they just move from being an individual to being part of, the, of that yeah, whole wow. flock. And that's to preserve any one bird from getting taken by the predator. If the predator comes into the flock, you'll see the flock split apart and it comes back together again because it's a robot system. So we say, that system is very impervious to perturbation. So there's a few words. Yeah. So we need to have the same thing for us. We need to be able to take a perturbation from our environment, physically or emotionally, take a hit like that, and get back on track really quickly. Yep. So now that's, you might call that resilience, but it's just that whole adaptability, that ability to be able but to- But you also don't want to be stuck there. Don't want to be so stuck. So you want to be floating around like a yep. psycho the whole no, time. So you need that time to recover. You can't, you can't see where people get stuck in these patterns of behavior that become so rigid. It's detectable in their system. It's detectable in the background tone yep. they exhibit in their legs. You know, you ask them to do a basic movement that we do a fundamental movement as a child. We sit there, we flop our legs back and forth. We yeah, don't even yeah. think about it. And you ask them to do it, all of a sudden they can't facilitate something yeah, simple right. like that with a command to their to the base. And so now 
This is important because they're walking around on these legs. Every time they put their left foot on the ground, that's telling a different story to the brain to when they put their right foot on the ground. Yeah. Because of that, the body needs to protect itself, so then it goes into this more concentrated hyperstate of vigilance. And that's where anxiety's got so the system, inflammation can come in, but it can't escape. So a really nice dissipative system, which we call a softly assembled system, would be you know, like Marky Matthews on surfing those big waves where you've got to have that fluency with it, or kids doing parkour where they're running through all those landscapes and they're completely random, they can't break it, they just got to spontaneously respond to that. Yeah. So that's a nicely softly assembled system. And so we have to start developing that philosophy. I want to be like that. Yeah. So that becomes your mantra. And so when we're doing our movements, softening things up so we can get an appreciation. But, of with a certain amount of tension as well. So that, again, right that amount, sweet spot. Just the right amount of tension. Yeah. So when people said, you, know, you couldn't have possibly lifted, deadlifted 300 kilos and not you know, 10 stuff. I said, but it was the right amount of tension. Yeah. But even if you consider a sprinter, for example. Yeah. So, I mean, just anything we do functionally, you're going to have some muscles flexing and some extending it yeah. there's a there's an on and an off switch occurring at exactly the same time yeah. in order for you to be able to do this some muscles have to let go while yeah. the other ones the whole process of excitation yeah. and inhibition which is really important so you know to give an example of that how it's a joint venture is that if you ask a person to stand on one leg and lift the other leg up and then they might see that this the leg they're holding up keeps wanting to go on the ground on the ground so they often blame the leg that they're standing on as the problem where that can't, that might not be the problem. It can be the leg they're holding up is not doing its job of inhibition properly. Yeah. So the ability to in inhibit and excite at the same time. Yeah. So it's like the hemispheres. So that's a joint venture between both hemispheres. So like one hemisphere says to the other one, "Is it okay if I do this?" And the other one's yeah. going to say, "Yeah, that's fine. Well, you better do this if I'm going to do this." So it's a joint venture. Because that's what when those legs that you're talking about before, you know, the yeah. like trying to get your legs to be floppy like a kid and that sort of stuff. And then eventually, you go, yeah, this is quite easy actually, I'm like a floppy kid. Yeah. And then Ken will go, okay, keep your left one still. Well, your right one goes. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, now all I'm, everything's floppy. I can't be still now. Yeah, that's it's right. like this constant, um, yeah. yeah, man. That, and to and be that, that finely tuned yeah. that you're capable of doing all these things is just a sweet spot. And it's exactly, it's not just keep, you know, people keep interpreting those as physical experience. They're not. It's all yeah. connected to our emotion. You cannot ever separate the emotional thing. It's psychophysical. You can't ever separate emotion from the physical thing because it all goes back to at that point in time, I'm taking in all this information from the environment. It's all getting integrated. But in amongst that, I'm trying to have a thought of doing something. And yeah. it, it's, there's that much noise in there. I can't even do well, that properly. Do you know it's crazy too? Because it's almost like it all links at once as well. So for example, yeah, I can study to learn a new fact mm -hmm. or a new spiel or I could memorize a speech or something, yeah. you know. And the way that that occurs in my brain is the things that I use regularly, it, it, it provides a shortcut. You know, mm -hmm. So I'll basically create a neural network that will allow me to access that information. Everything I've ever seen, heard, read, whatever is in there somewhere. Yeah. I practice how to access that information, I then get a shortcut through a neural network to that piece mm -hmm. of information. So someone asks me that question, bang, I, it, it fires quite quickly, yes. I know where to find it. The body can do the same thing. So this is what you're talking about with rehab and, and like these creating new neural networks. It's the process of practicing and training and finding a way to access that yeah. thing and the body will 
build new neural networks. It's, like it's easy to understand yeah. in our brain, yeah. but what you do with rehab and getting people out of wheelchairs and bits and pieces, it's a similar thing through the body, huh? It's a similar thing, but it's really, but it's always treat the person, not the disorder as well. Mm. So it doesn't matter that it's a spinal cord injury. They're an individual person before they had that injury, so they yeah. could have all these other stress and anxieties and that that are creating noise within their system that's going to interfere with the lines of communication. So we've got to get rid of all, all that noise and all that interfering stuff. So it's always treating people like that. We just uh, we don't make the lesion famous as well at the mm. same time thing because we've yeah. seen too many people just do amazing things with these lesions that they were told that they're never ever going to walk again. You're complete, yeah. you're complete mate. Sorry, this is your life. This is yeah. this and I've seen the opposite too where people have got rid of the lesions but mm. they still can't walk. They still can't walk, yes. Yeah. So, and um, there's more and more of that happening too, where people are just developing these disorders that um, that you know and are coming to us for treatment, and we're able to you know, help them correct that within a very t- small time scale. So the question was, well, where was the disorder? Like, yeah. well, it certainly wasn't in the physical representation of the system, um, but it's that whole you know that representation of nothing is a physical. You can't experience any emotion without a physical sensation being attached to it, and likewise, you can't do anything physical unless there's emotion attached to it. So when that information comes in, all our sensory information, it goes through the emotional regions of the brain first, on its way to the cortex for subjective evaluation, back down through there again for the response. So first we perceive and then we respond. So if we're going to be concerned about a a motor neuron disease, motor neurons are just like puppy dogs waiting for somebody to throw them a ball. They're responsive to the sensory system. So are we looking at a sensory systems issue here or a motor systems issue here? I know a sensory system. Because what's interesting about a lot of those motor neuron diseases as well is they, they get this peripheral spasticity, or mm-hmm. but they have central lesions. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's like it's not even in the air. Like it, it, it's so confusing with that, um, how the body... Because I had a conversation with an anatomy physiology lecturer for hours trying to work out what the hell a cramp is. Mm. Like, what, what's your perspective of a cramp? I still do not know. There are so many different triggers and treatments and versions of cramps like what, what's your perspective yeah, well, once again the you're simplified the, I know. the, the, the emotion, <laughs> emotional regions of the brain are, are definitely involved in that we know that for starters so an athlete could have you know an nrl footballer they could have trained five times harder than what they're actually playing in the game yeah but now the grand final so they're cramping up occurs yeah. because of the sense of urgency but there's the pickle juice working on a central gag reflex yeah, yeah. or something and stopping a cramp in their calf yeah like there's so many things and that and mess that, with my brain and that's only because now they've put other information in that's going to get priority yeah so the brain when they become aware there's a bit of a cramp going on that's when it gets positive feedback and that's what will amplify that experience yeah so it's that cramp because up in the brain it's doing the positive, you know, positive, positive, and yeah. positive, negative. So there should be positive, negative, repelling, you know, doing this wonderful thing all the time. But when it gets attracted like that and gets stuck in a certain state, because too much is happening up in the brain. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because there's too much information going into a certain brain that's representative of that particular area. So that's when we need to disobey. We need to be on a trampoline, like a little bouncing ball, yeah. and say, okay, let's just look at this person. It's got a restraint here, it's got a restraint there, a restraint there. This is what's so wonderful about these simple little things, like that little rebounded. You just hop on there and you just start to bounce. Yeah. When you're doing that, you're putting information into that system, you're getting some information back. Your system will naturally start to convert that information into something useful for itself because the laws of energy conservation will predict that oh, it's easier for you to do the right thing than the wrong thing. So initially it might be a little bit bunking, there's a few this way, but you just keep you don't have to do air time and everything, just yeah. nicely do, doing this. It'll processing, it'll just keep adapting to a higher state of complexity all the time. So that's another way. 
of doing some simple calibration yep. and being in mind, okay, just stay out of it, just let my body, just little bounce and that, and all these little restraints in there will just gradually start to be removed because it's easier for the system to do the right thing than what yep. is the wrong thing. So even when we're not on track at certain times and we're trying to <clears throat> get something, something right, you just have faith that if I'm standing on one leg with my eyes closed, for example, let's just say, you know, I'm really wobbly at that because my visual system has been lying to me all this period of time, it's not properly calibrated. But eventually, if I just let it go, don't get into it, just let your body do it. It'll work it out. So if I send it, get a pendulum swinging, that pendulum's gonna keep losing energy until it finds its slowest energy point, which is at the bottom of the system it's nested within. If I just let my body go and don't try to overcorrect it, it'll go through all these conformational states until it finds its lowest energy point, which is when it's doing the right thing. Yeah. Now, that's very profound because when we look at the, what the initial responses were to the person, that's relative to all the things that are going on in their body, good, bad, and different, disease, disorder, despair, whatever we'd like to call it. If somehow they've done a, and they've created something like that where all of a sudden now they're doing something properly, well, now we've got evidence that neurons in that system are firing differently to what they were before. Yep. It's not new neurons or anything like that, it's just using the neurons that are there, the synapses there, smarter, yep. and just controlling that way. So the disease disorder that can't be there like it was before because we've changed some initial conditions quite simply. Yeah. So everything that holds understand the sensitivity to initial conditions, if the traffic coming back from the coast on the weekend, everyone's doing the right thing, thank goodness, and it's moving nice and smoothly, then somebody starts putting their foot on the brake intermittently at the front of it, now we've got a traffic jam 10 kilometers yeah. back yep, here. Yep. So that's some, an example of sensitivity to initial conditions. Our systems are constantly like that. With neurophysics, we're trying to get as close to some sets of initial conditions as we can by calming the person, get, trying to get ask the person to calm themselves down as much as they possibly can, what they believe to be calm. Mm. Um, engage with a, a stimulus, so that's their acting upon the environment in some construct, you know, reliable manner that we can measure. And then objective, objectively, as they're going through, if there's any unwarranted fears or anxiety start to emerge, is correct those errors, particular errors. Yeah. Once they start to do that and say, straight away, their system is heading in the right direction. That's why, People come to us with really complex conditions and that's why within the four day time frame that we put that limit on it, we expect to see significant changes occur within oh, the yeah. person system. Yeah. So that's, that's always the case. Um, so I just think, as I knew it, <clears throat> use that analogy of the highway again, <clears throat> a lot of athletes, are, and just, not just athletes, not people, it's almost like when they're performing or exercising, training or thinking or whatever, it's like they slam on the accelerator and then slam on the brakes. Um, so for example, we do everything with angst and intensity. Right? It's just like, bang, I'm going hard and now I'm stopping. Mm. It's like, but the reality of it is when you look at an anatomy physiology perspective and using things like you know, mTOR you know, as a, a rehab, like a, a growth and AMK as a burner, mm -hmm. you know, it's almost like the highways, what should be happening, instead of slamming on the accelerator going and then slamming on the brake before you run into something, what we should be doing is we push the accelerator and then we take our foot off the accelerator. Seamless and when we take our foot off the accelerator, as opposed to slamming mm. our foot on the brake, when we take our foot off the accelerator, we're going back into that regeneration repair. That's when we can replenish our creatine yeah. load. It's when we can replenish. So basically what I'm saying is you can be running that way and, and your cells can be recovering and regenerating at the same time mm. as certain muscle cells are in that relaxed state mm -hmm. while others are driving, as opposed to going all in yeah. and then slamming on the brakes. We Again, it's that sweet spot of maintaining that level of efficiency. It is, <coughs> and, that's, 
And there's the point. Like that seam, what you're talking about there is seamless transitions mm. from one thing, one state to the other. And that's the part that you know I, I coined that many years ago because some of the exercise scientists we're seeing back in those days that even when a person does something like a, a bicep curl, um, they you know, EMG markers, biceps and triceps, they'd see that as that person, as the, the con- transition from the concentric to the eccentric phase, there's parts there where nothing was happening. Yeah. And um, then likewise coming from the um, eccentric to the concentric. So it's like, a, now that's what we'd call anomalies in the system and they would say, or a singularity it's actually called. But um, nothing in nature, um, is, is everything in nature is seamless. Yeah. So all of a sudden we've got this anomalies appearing in the human nervous system and human beings are the only animals that exhibit this type of behaviour. Well, so lift something up in the day. <clears throat> Where animals... Oh don't, yeah, they breathe in yeah, relation we, to how we lift yeah, and that that's right. And, that, and so we, you know, we often have to dereg- teach people how to deregulate their breathing pattern consistent with what they're doing to, to, to what they're doing. But it's this problem now that we've got these singularities. So. When I was presenting this, this at, a, at a conference at um, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, there was looking at why does the lead athlete who's shot a thousand basketball hoops before, um, this time they jump up in the air and they come down the ACL blows. That's not an ACL issue, that's a systems issue. Everything is always a systems issue. Right? There's no privilege point of observation in the central nervous system whatsoever. It's one complete system. So we say, right, oh, well my hypothesis was that when they left the ground, the system came across one of these anomalies, there's these missing bits of information there, so the system didn't have all the information it needed, so that when they came back down and landed, it was all, there was a corrupt, you know, basically it was corrupted from yeah, yeah. So you can't just fob that up and say, oh, the athlete's torn to the ACL, why? You know, that's what I've always been, okay, why? What, what could be possibly going on with this? So we have to teach people to, to do these seamless transitions, which is what you're referring to where they're coming out, they're doing their movement, and rather than this acute, sudden change of direction, you think of it more like an athlete running around an athletic track. Hmm. The athlete's not doing anything different around the corner than what they are, they're yep. staying in the zone. So they're making that, that transition where there's no extra effort, we're not having a bias between the stress coming in and the stress leaving, because we don't experience life as a sudden stress, then emotional withdrawal. Sudden stress, emotional withdrawal. If you embed that type of pattern into your system, your system then has to use a lot of energy when you walk outside of the gym to start to normalize itself. Yeah. And then person is demonstrating a lack of control over something they should have control over. So how's that going to translate into relationship building, you know, what they do in the traffic, all that sort of thing. Yeah. But the, it's fixing up these areas. So there's no bias between stress increasing in, in my body and stress decreasing. So yeah. you're maintaining the same you know, biochemical hormonal responses to it and you're trying to get rid of those d- d- differences. So we've done all the proper real world data and we've got the personal trainer, pulled them off the street and we could see, okay, we do five, one, uh, five repetitions with a, a five kilo dumbbell using your favorite arm at what you perceive to be a walk in the park pace. And of course, it was quite predictable that we'd seen these anomalies appear, these yeah. different where nothing was happening. We had a person who'd been doing neurophysics for a little while and you're seeing that as it's moving along, so the bandwidth, so yeah. the bandwidth of the personal trainer, let's just I'll blow it up a bit, let's just say it was this high. The bandwidth of the person who's doing little neurophysics was like this high, but you can still see the, the lumps. At so the what peak. you're saying is that using like something like an electrocardiogram, so using an electrical yeah, yeah, stimulus, yeah. you can, you say, instead of having, you wouldn't know if they're going up or down. Yeah. Like they go up intensity, down nothing. That's right, so we had the EMG and markers. And you could be the same yeah. the whole way. Yeah. So we had the EMG marker and bicep and tricep. Yeah. 
And so, but you could still see the peak phases. So even though you could still, you know, it was a nice line, but you could still see that where it would clump up in certain areas, it was, it was smooth. Mm. And so, well, that's five kilos. What would happen if it was 10 kilos? Well, obviously that would increase in density, and which is still putting stress on the other fabric of the system. So then we got a person who was really good at it and you couldn't tell where any of those repetitions were. Yeah, moment. right. So that's how we need to, to be. So we can move through you know, space and time and our bodies just keep responding to the environment in a, in a similar way. So the kangaroos that they had in captivity you know, years ago when they were looking for the famous fast twitch you know, muscle response, they had EMG markers on their, on their, their, their legs um, and they startled those kangaroos and they expected to see these spikes. Yeah. And they were scratching their heads when they didn't see any of those spikes. And, ah. that's, and that's when I said, ah, I know exactly what's happening here. Yeah. This is it. Because they're seamless. They're just moving seamlessly. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because James, I've been doing a lot of these you know, CrossFit workshops with James and a big part that he teaches people to improve. The, the first thing he does, if anyone wants to make a small improvement or like a 10% improvement to their the thing it's, it's he talks about transitions mm. so it's all about just planning for your transitions mm. having the smooth transitions and whether you're part of a team or as an individual athlete it's actually strategizing your next moves mm. but but not like yeah. just allowing them to happen and yeah. getting ready for that movement rather than bang 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 now jump over here yeah. there's another thing i was kind of asked because as we're talking you know we talk about that sweet spot mm. with tension and relaxation mm. that allows us to do these mm. smooth transitions and seamless stuff but so what? So when someone's training and someone's doing these things regularly, they're they're getting better and better at it, and that sort of stuff, and they're acquiring a certain amount of strength and tension mm. in that. How does? What do you think about stretching? Because if someone's done all this work to kind of get themselves in a position where they can do this exercise, like the sprinter mm. that wants to just take off mm. in those middle sets, what happens if you stretch? Does it make? It's stretchier, like yeah. less power, or like I was uh, curious this, about that. Yeah, we just got to be aware. Like the word stretching always implies that it's going beyond its normal fabric, right? Yeah, what it's designed to do. So it's stretching something out beyond it, that that you know, existing fabric. So as opposed to normalization of the limb, yeah, right, movement, uh, that's a different story altogether. So if you've got but, tension and something's really tight. Yeah, you see, see in the person's fascia, like, you know, you get them on the ground, you should be able to pick a person's leg up to 90 degrees with their yeah. leg on the ground and dorsiflex their calf with that too much drama. But, I yeah, always but, cry when yeah, you do yeah, that to me. You get people's yeah. legs up at about the 45 <laughs> degree angle and they're just, you know, almost oh, screaming. Oh, yeah. And this is how it shows, and this is relative to the, the, the question about stretching. So when we see that occurring, that, that's a conversion disorder straight away. Because that's anxiety that's causing that. Because if you gave me anaesthetic, you can just do whatever. No, no. Well, that, of course. But if I, as soon as I stop doing that, yeah. instantly the pain goes away. Yeah. Now, if that was real pain, it doesn't go away. Pain doesn't go away. Yeah. If you hit your finger with a hammer, it lingers on there you know, for some time. So it's that instant stopping of that. Where as soon as you let it go, so you can show. So long-term fear converts into anxiety, and long-term anxiety can convert into pain. So now when... The person gets coached to appreciate that and they, so they've gone from this often having this excruciating experience of pain to the point where they start giggling because it's hurting so much yeah but it actually becomes funny and if that was real pain it wouldn't they wouldn't be laughing about it yeah and oh you're going to tear something you can't it's impossible yeah because nothing's going to tear because See, i fall asleep when pain gets really bad for me mm. like even like a deep tissue massage or any of those things. I want to go silly tattoos and things. I keep falling asleep because yeah. my brain goes, right, this is going to really hurt. And then I'd get into like a meditation. So I just actually fall asleep. <laughs> so it can't be pain. 
No, because that, if that was a genuine pain... Yeah, it is. <clears throat> I've always been fascinated by the whole topic of pain, I mean, because it is that subjective experience. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, like I said, for me to come out with no pain, and you know, I said to Nikki, well, I could probably argue that people who experience a lot of pain post their um, shoulder replacements, they probably weren't in a lot of pain pre-existing. Yeah, so yeah. it's, um, you know, where I had to sort of suck it up for five and a half years because I was so busy doing what I was doing. Um, and you've seen the photos of what my shoulder looked like beforehand, so it's yeah. pretty, pretty bad. Um, but it's that whole subjective. But when it comes down to the stretching, so that is what I'm, when I'm doing that to a person, I'm not stretching. That's just normalisation. Yeah. And we've got to come on, just relax, just relax, to get them through that, that point. So they've got to learn how to do that themselves then. You know, if somebody can get on the leg press and put your legs up on, bend yourself forward and pull your toe back to be able to get rid of that. But it's that, that tension that builds up in our bodies. But when it comes to stretching and you're going beyond the person's reasonable limit, yeah, um, that's a different story because that's when there's information gets lost from the system. Yeah, what about so, hot yoga and stuff like that? I mean, these people do those these well, the origins of yoga yeah, or the origins origins of yoga was yeah. always about the flexibility of the mind, so to speak, and then the body would follow. Now they try to reverse engineer that with a you know stretch the heck out of people if that's the word you want to use. Yeah, um, and they hide their idea well, that's somehow going to liberate the mind because what you've got to go through the mental gymnastics of it. But if you pull a stretch rubber band out, um, when you just do that, this, this, the rubber band is losing information from the system. Yeah. When you let it go, it'll restore some information, but never the same amount as what it lost. But over time, it's going to lose its elasticity. Yeah. Right? It's going to become it becomes a shitty rubber band. A shitty rubber band. Yeah. yeah. So we're the same thing. Like all the relationships between our tendons and our, our ligaments, they store energies at different ratios to one another. Yeah. Okay. So now, if you stretch them as one. The regathering of that has going to ha- need to take place at different timescales, and that's when all these errors start to occur. Yeah. In that, you know, so we've got to be careful about that, and and uh, it's always, you know, like get the get the science right, get the physics right first. Yeah. Um, so a person does a whole heap of big extensions, and they feel the lactate, which is just anxiety in the first place. They get up, they pull their leg up behind their their, their yeah. bum, and the, the pain goes away. It goes away, so they get this sense of relief. What they don't realise was at that point in time, we need, that's what we call the negative entry, we need to maintain a level of entropy in the system for it to form adaptions. Once what does you that do, mean? What, so entropy is the measurement of disorder within yeah. the system. We need to maintain a level of disorder for it to make an adaption. As soon as they do that, they lose that information. Yeah, wow. So, so we've done a whole heap of skills training, we've been a footy trainer, we've done and practiced all our skills, and then we sit down and we start doing a whole heap of stretching after it. Chances are you're losing a lot of the information that you just put into your system yeah. about the, the movements you're doing. But what about also if you're you're altering um, oh, to be symmetrical, like mm. to be most efficient? You might have some areas that are a little bit more tense. Other to maintain that yeah, symmetry, so or you've got to do other things to sort of to be able to recognise you know asymmetrical issues within yeah. the system that are very hemispheric type of issues. You know, left left hemisphere doing something different to the right hemisphere. Um, but kids don't stretch, you know, they get out, you know, oh, let's go and do, off they go and yeah. just do it, you know, so all of a sudden we get this idea that we've got to do lots of these type of things to warm up. What are we trying to warm up? And people who know me and they see... What are we stretching to? This is the one that, sorry I interrupt you, these things just confuse me because, I mean, for example, fascia, the connective tissue within the muscle bundle makes up about 6 to 10% 
of the muscle bundle, mm. but it generates over 30% of the muscle power. Yeah. And the theories behind that was based on the fact that that is actually the bit that's not going to be going mm. soft. These yeah. are the these are the ropes. This is the the wire. Yes. Yeah. The, the steel wire that's running through the, that gives you your power. Yes. That's and that's why you see a lot of these amazing power lifters or these really strong people seem to be just made up of ligaments, tendons, and fascia. <laughs> yeah. They don't necessarily need these massive muscle bundles yeah. to be able to lift heavy things. So when they're stretching and sort of stuff, are we actually like? stretching out the fascia and tendons and that to a certain degree are they going to lose some of that explosive power by it, stretching it's it's yeah well we're losing, if they're overstretching losing, yeah losing yeah. information that we, we need to maintain that level of information to maintain our skills so, so how that, do we normalize then as opposed to stretching do we then run through a series of the calibration exercise before would people be better off at running through a series of what we might call warm-up exercises or something to calibrate before an event. Just sit down and think about what you're going to do for a bit. Like, yeah. Okay, you know, people who know me, they come down and lead athletes have been with me. We go down the footy fields, there's yeah. no warm-ups, there's no stretching, shoom, off. Yeah, right. To, to this day, that's what happens. That's what I do. Down the beach, there's no nothing, nothing like that at all. Yeah. I don't, I've never torn hamstrings or anything like that because you just yeah. realise... It's that whole flexibility, that state of mind. As yeah. we mentioned before, give a person a general anaesthetic and move their arms and legs wherever they want to. We, but as soon as they restore their consciousness, their patterns of beliefs and fears and prejudices and bias come along, then that's exactly what takes place. You know, So it's, um, it re- re- restores a system to that, that existing state. So you know, we've got to sort of think past that and we've got to think, to, okay, I'm going to go down, I'm going to do some sprinting and just relax, just let it get childlike. Yeah. yeah. Stop trying to be so adult. Because when <laughs> you play, you seem to be able to run for ages. Yeah. Like you don't get, I mean, you get tired, but you just seem to run. The only thing that stops you when you're a kid from running is giggling. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't run and giggle at the same time. So that, and we get old because we stop playing rather than we stop playing because we've got old. Yeah. Maybe, you know, so, man, that is insane. That it, um, you know, like there's going to be people who challenge that, but there's a lot of, you know, a couple few years ago on um, New Scientists, where they, you know, they're announcing that New Zealand All Blacks not, yeah. not stretching anymore. And a lot of the... Because they change it all the time. Huh? Yeah. Remember it went, used to stretch before, now yeah. it's stretch after. Now they're not, they weren't stretching at all when they, they had <laughs> But then there's a lot of universities have done the studies and when they say, well, five, 10 second sprints, uh, stretches on a hamstring will reduce the efficiency of that hamstring by 12%. Wow. Right. So now that's all good data, of course, but the point, the reality of it is that um, when it comes down to the fundamental aspects, what's actually taking place is you're losing information from the system, mm. information that you need to maintain. Information that you trained into, into the system. The system yeah. And I never never stretched when I was doing all the powerlifting, all that sort of thing. Yeah. I never had injuries. At, at but such. what about warm-up? Do you do a little bit to get a bit of that lactate, hydrogen ions running through? It's, it's, it's only just to feel, mm. feel to get myself head in the right place. I can't go straight yeah. into squatting you know, 300 yeah. kilos and all yeah. that type of thing, of course. Yeah. But it's just like getting that head in the right space. So firstly, I need to feel a level of stress from my environment, learn to metabolize that. Um, but when it comes to, when they, we're talking about powerlifting, when it goes down to something basic like sprinting, yeah. know, I just should be able to go and do that straight up, yeah. no problem at all. And then it's, uh, it's, it's really coming back to... Well, the, so especially if you're getting attacked by a bloody lion. Yeah. And the, oh, well, yeah, you, know, you imagine, wouldn't want to have to stop and say, hang on, imagine, stretch yeah. out. <laughs> I'm not allowed to run until I imagine, stretch. Yeah, well, imagine a primitive tribe getting invaded by another primitive tribe. Well, hold on a second, guys. We've just got to do a few... Yeah, wait for the whistle. Warm up to stretching. So, you know, it's become a, it's become a, you know, a fabrication of a lot of things. But there's been, you know, co- coach footy teams. The first thing that, that happened was, that's it, the stretching's gone. 
Yeah. And those, all those A-grade teams that I coached like that, that, those were the years where they got less injuries yeah. than anything. Yeah, so that was the first thing that went. Um, huh. I've never done it in my life. Um, what about know, these foam rollers and everything? You'll see these people like, before any event, they're running through the stretches, they're hitting these foam rollers. Yeah. What about those sort of things? Are yeah, they... well, it's, again, it's an external stimulus and they're, 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 it's what we, I refer to as object referral. Like they're referring how they're feeling by this, this type of apparatus. It's giving them some type of feedback to it and they're trying to get rid of that feedback. But it's the reason, they're, all they're doing is dealing with some symptoms. They're not addressing the underlying causes to why that was there in the first place. Why would they origin, Why would they need to be doing that? Yeah, yeah. So there's an underlying cause as to do that. And you've got to get rid of the underlying cause. That's, yeah. that's more than anything. And um, you know, so that anticipation. Um, anticipation can be your best friend or your worst enemy. So I anticipate we're going to win this game today, and that can go a long way to producing that outcome. Yeah. But if I anticipate I'm going to hurt myself and I need to do all these sort of things, yeah. it's probably going to play out that something like that's going to happen. So you'll feel the slightest little twinge in your, yeah, in your yeah. calf or whatever. That'll get blown up big time in the brain. Oh, this is going to happen. Oh, yeah. So what I've seen more than anything, Matt, is that people have become so over-aware of their bodies in so many ways. They can name off bits and pieces of their body that I can't even didn't even know existed. Mm. Um, but it's that over-awareness of them because we've got a lot of professional people out there whose jobs are dependent upon it in terms of the, the relationship they have in the club in terms of you know, getting people massaged and getting yeah. them on the field and everything. But it's that over-use where you know, one particular NRL player said, we can't even kick a football unless we've done 20 minutes of you know, stretching and warming up wow. and that sort of thing. And, um, See, it's crazy because I, I think back to me because it's always about me. But there's um, every injury I had through most of my life was on my left side. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the funny thing is, is it all started with a twinge in my ankle mm-hmm. that then they felt the need to strap. Yep, yes. So then I did a twinge in my ankle one day, they strapped it on the game. The next week I turned up and they said, oh, we've got to strap your ankle because yeah. you had that twinge last week. We wrote it down. Mm-hmm. So we're going to strap your ankle. And then strapped my ankle, did my hamstring. Yeah. Did a knee, had the knee reconstruction, hamstring didn't do it. Then my left wrist, yeah. left shoulder, everything went. And it all started with this over and analysis of this left side yeah. where the ankle got strapped, I'd stretch in my hand. Then when I did my hamstring injuries, all this rehab on my left yeah. hamstring. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, none of it was symmetrical. None of it was calibrating me back as me. Yeah. Okay, let's move forward. Yeah. It was actually every time I was doing these things, it was almost calibrating me as a person with a dodgy left side yeah. because I spent all this focus and then it's interesting when I come and do this session with you put me on the adductor machine smashing out these things you take all the weight off close my eyes I can't even find my left yeah. leg yeah. put me on the hamstring machines no worries and then all of a sudden I realize I'm on a unilateral one yeah. Yeah. and one of my legs isn't even moving I've yeah. spent this whole time doing everything with the other leg yes. and the other one coming along as a passenger yeah. those sort of things it, it's not even there. Yeah. And then or even to get it, then I'd even have to move my head or look at mm. it or like without looking at it. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And so that's the sure. sort of stuff that we acquire over our lives of just compensating or mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. sort of stuff. And then we end up with all this dodgy injury. So it's never too late to go back and just go through and calibrate and bring things back into place. That's what I said. Like yeah. the complete, always to, to think of the system as a whole. Yeah. You know, that whole, and the, the only issue is with dealing with the human being. It is like dealing with two different people because the left and right hemisphere basically have differing personalities to one another in that sense. So when you're talking about your left side, that's your right hemisphere. Yep. It's really re- it's the reactive one that's yep. going to get you on running away from lines. The poor old left hemisphere has got to do the job of calming things down. But that's where the, the inconsistency. So with neurophysics, we'd be more focused on trying to get your left hemisphere 
to tell your right hemisphere what to do, but you need to be doing things both at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To do it. And you can see the deficit, come on, stop it there, just get it centered up. But when you strap something, you're not strapping the ankle, you're strapping the system. Yeah. So if I had a spider web, you see a big beautiful spider web out in, the, in between two trees, that's a beautiful, you know, what we're talking about, dissipative system. So that's got to be able to, you know, the spider has to do all the math to work out what's going to happen when the wind is blowing on these things and on these trees and releasing energy different time scales. So if I went and restrained that in some way and the wind blew on those three, we know what's going to happen yeah. to that system, right? There's yeah. going to be some type some of tearing. Right. Yeah. And then if the spider went down to fix that up, which it would do, and it patches it up, it's not going to look the same as what it did before. So it's got to create a structure that it can now blend in and dissipate through the rest of the system. So you imagine yeah. it would look different to the other. So it's never the same. Um, but we have something's gone wrong in here. Your system, given the right type of conditions, you as the, the spider, the executive spider up there, and balancing down, it'll construct something that's necessary down here to fix this up so it can then dissipate that through the rest of the system like yeah. everything else is going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah it does. So it's like that overall intelligence. You're looking constantly at the overall intent. It's not about a leg. This isn't about a shoulder. Every yeah. single cell in my body is aware of what's going on here. Which is no point overthinking it anyway. No, no. Which is why when you go into these these academic presentations globally and you, you're publishing this stuff, there's a shitload of big words. But you break it down to a very simple form mm. is that we're just asking the body to do a thing or like, not yeah. even asking, we're just, the body just starts doing a thing and it works out a way of doing it. Yeah. Um, a, another one I was going to ask you is a lot of people ask me, they say, oh, this one's, this arm's weak. I've lost a lot of muscle here. So I'm going to do an extra couple of reps on this yeah. one. From my perspective, it doesn't make sense because I mean, if you've got a strong arm and a weak arm and you're both doing the same, this one will be easier. It won't be growing mm. as much. This one will find it harder and it will grow more. Mm. So that's again about calibrating. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I mean, you know, like typically say well, I'm a right-handed person, but my left arm's always been stronger because I did my apprenticeship as a carpenter and all that thing. So you're shoveling sand. So, yeah. you, so you'll hold the weight of the shovel in this yeah. hand, you just use this hand to do that. Oh, or, yeah. my left hand's an idiot. Yeah, I mean, I was doing. I broke this hand once. Yeah. I couldn't even brush my teeth. I had to like hold the toothbrush and yeah. shake my head at it. Yeah, but it all goes back to that skill. Like then, when I did a bit of plastering for, so you hold yeah. the walkie, the weights on there, and you're just using this, this arm to do different things. So this has a higher skill set than the other arm, but you can't. You know, you, you can't. You doing those single arm movements like that. And when I was talking about what I was doing too, that was together. Yeah. Right? There wasn't just one arm at a time doing things. So if they're not, if they're right thoughts, and you don't know how to dissipate that through your system. So if, I, if all of a sudden I'm doing a, I've got a crook right knee, so I'm on the leg press, on the unilateral leg press, I'm doing um, right leg, leg presses because I need to strengthen this knee. Now I've got my left hemisphere in a very highly excited state yeah. as a result of that. So then if I go over to, to the other one and do that leg and I see it, there might be a difference. So now I've got my right hemisphere into a very highly excited state. Bearing in mind what I said before, they have different attitudes about what's going on in the world, those, yeah. those hemispheres. So now you don't ever want to start that pendulum swing because that's bipolar. Yeah, right. You get your left hemisphere in this highly excited state and now it swings over to right hemisphere. Yeah. You don't ever want to start. So this is why you always say you think central and that. So this is where you just stay Center. in the middle and the yeah. things will Stays do their things. And we're developing some you know, point of, of center points of distribution. So you're looking at your hands and your feet. They're all points of distribution yep. through your system. We're thinking about the machine supplies this beautiful grid that's very yeah. measurable. We can measure changes. So we're going working through our grids nicely. Now that's just all to get your body organized and your yeah. system working like that. 
then you can go and apply that. You can jump over things and do all sorts of things because your system's got all these stable reference points yep, built into yep. it. Most people walking the street don't have any stable reference points yeah. at all, so they become unpredictable. A good one for that is that climbing machine or that a unilateral leg press. Mm. Man, I've never freaked out so much. Put me on that climbing machine and it's like, sweet, yeah, I can stand here, I can balance these two pedals. And then it's like, yeah, I can even wiggle them a little bit like that. And then it's like, okay, so drop that one a little bit lower and that yeah. one. And it's just like, whoop, yeah. I was gone. And I'm yeah. just like, from one in, from one extreme to the other. Yeah. And then, but it was only when I go back central. So if I go central, yeah. I can hover around a central point, no problem. Yes. But when my brain went, drop your right down, left up, yeah. and left down, right up, it yeah. was just like, that's yeah, bad. It is, I mean, yeah. and that was one of the things, like even like having this shoulder be pre- it was because it upset the balance of my whole body. Yeah. So I, I struggled with those things about standing on one leg and everything because as soon as I got it done, unbelievable, the next morning, yep. got yep. up, and even though I still had this arm, but to be able to lift this leg up yep. to put my jockets on, yeah. and I went, oh my God, that's unbelievable yeah. how, how I could do this. So it shows that that part was affecting that. You know, now, that was, you know, just so people are aware, we said, well, how come your neurophysics, work, what can you fix it? You see the photos of it. That my humerus got slammed straight. Oh, in the it was right. rotten. It was rotten, right? Should so sit there. Yeah. How, how the heck I could have even you know, managed to do the things that I yeah. was doing was, was crazy. But um, sometimes you need that surgery. I mean, if you've got a structural thing that's oh, actually just pinched a thing and it can be relieved, yeah, you can't and allow you to calibrate again. Yeah, the neurophysics can't fix that. I mean, that's yeah. that had to be you know, completely taken out and you know, you, yeah. you know, something you put in there. Um, but it, it's not the point. The point is my recovery yeah. that's when the my, you know, neurophysics therapy comes into play how fast i can recover um, yeah from from that and in um, saying that when i first came to see you it was because i'd just been to some surgeons they told me i needed a knee reconstruction mm -hmm. they wanted to do a yeah. shoulder reconstruction and a wrist reconstruction mm -hmm. so i thought i'll come to ken and i'll get a bit of balance going and then then i'll go back and recalibrate mm -hmm. oh no never you don't re anything mm -hmm. i'll get to that in a sec um but um, I th but I never ended up needing any of yeah. those surgeries because things just started working a little mm -hmm. bit again. Yeah. So Ken, we're running out of time, but I want to, just to summarize, I just kind of accidentally slipped into a segue into what I wanted to ask you next. And the segue is the legway, mm -hmm. we realize. Now, the, um, so what we're looking at, I mentioned the word recalibrate and I see you twitch. And if <laughs> I ever say reprogram, you do the same thing. Yeah. So you don't like the re, do you? No, because you, know, you, you can't re anything. You can't use RE words in biology because it always suggests the back transition. Yeah. You, know, you can't rewire the brain. You can only take the brain from a present state and enhance its qualities and functions. So it's an upgrade. So we talk about calibrate as opposed to recalibrate. We don't want to set back. People say, oh, I want to go back to running the way I want that to I was. Reboot the computer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to go, go back to running the way I was before. And so, well, you're never going to run the way that you were before, but perhaps you might run better yeah, yeah. than the way you were before because you've got to forget history. Like, let's just get this started. Let's get a white sheet of paper. Let's just start again. Let's just put all the right programs into place, develop all these stable reference points within your system so, you go out there, so your system is really robust now and um, can take on lots of stuff. No matter what you throw at that system, you're probably going to be able to deal with it really well. Yeah. And that's the point. Like, you know, people coming today, it's like the biggest, stronger, faster world that we live in today. Everybody basically needs to adopt things like an elite athlete would. We need to develop stable reference points in a system to give us some guarantee 
as to what's going to happen when something significant comes along mm. because it's always the same. You know, we're going to deal with it based on some historical events which you yep. referred to before. Um, we're very correct um, in doing that because, again, nature just has very simple rules as to why I would be stressed. Yep. I mean, being invaded or there's, you know, have a lack of food, very simple reasons why it does that. It doesn't deal with our subjective reasoning for different, yep. different piece things. It just puts it into one package. But it's, it's that typical behaviour that you see, you know, a woman one time in Sydney, you've seen her having coffee and having a breakfast and trying to have breakfast in the morning, legs crossed on her laptop, punching things out in this beautiful cafe setting. Hmm. Lots of people, an awesome cafe there. Um, now, what her brain is learning about that, she's under a lot of stress and she's in this environment. Now, some other time she can go back to a coffee shop with her friends and start to feel anxious and not know why. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it Just forms the association with that, so those pathways to and it. And there's that innate defense yeah. mechanism. You survived it last time yeah. you were stressed in a coffee shop. That's right. So <laughs> in the end, let's do it again. You can recalibrate her yeah. to a time before she went to the coffee shop yeah. and did that. You're going to take her system for where it is there now. Yeah. And, and say, hey, you're okay to sit up, in a coffee up, shop. Upskill it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Upskill it. Yeah. So, for any other information from Ken, just We'll put heaps of links and that sort of stuff in, in our thingy that we do. Hey, mate, someone will know how to do that. Get my people to speak to your people. Um, but basically, search for everything Ken Ware, neurophysics. He's available um, to see directly, but also also you can learn how to do these techniques yourself and become a neurophysics practitioner mm-hmm. or go and visit one of the guys that he's taught. This is scalable, reproducible. It's a it's a system, you know, and you can anyone can do it. Um, if you've got the expertise and yeah, the thanks, experience. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, it is very important. We've been, we're, like, we're taking bookings for 2024 now, so we're really looking for you know, more practitioners coming out there because it is, I've done all the battles, I've fought all the wars, done all the, the science stuff. So the people coming into, into neurophysics, um, into the community now, they've got a clean run at the line. They don't yeah. have to do anything like that at all. Can I just go back a one little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're talking about the cold, you know, being in the yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have Lewis Pugh's book over there, right? So he's the guy that, um, the South African guy swimming those freezing cold waters in his jocks, you know? So years ago, back at the Institute, um, John Carsberg came up to me one day and I was just working with a, one of my patients from, from over, he was come from over New York, a spinal cord injured person. And they said, oh, do you want to come up and meet Lewis Pugh? I'd seen all these people walk into the Institute before in suits and God knows what, and they went upstairs and I thought it was just something he, you know, he had organized himself to, to do. So, yeah, sure, so I goes upstairs. And at that point in time, I didn't know who Lewis Pugh was. I knew of this person that swam yeah, in this cold, yeah. freezing cold waters and everything. So I went upstairs there. So it was the, um, chamber, the Gold Coast Chamber of Commerce people there and the Gold Coast Council, City Council, who got Lewis out to do, because that's where he's seen motivational speaking, he's, he's done all beautiful things around the world, environmental heritage and God knows what. So this person's walking towards me, putting out his hand to shake his hand, and going, who the heck is this? Who are all these people? Mm. And um, they're all sitting there. What's going on here as well? So um, when he started to when he started to, I said, "Oh, I'm no, very pleased to meet you." And I'm honoured at that point in time. I still didn't know who he was. We sit down across the table, and he starts talking about these things. So he read John McLean's book, oh, yeah? and he said, "I've seen something about John McLean." He said, "I was really curious." He said, "So I just wanted to come and meet you." So of all the places when he on the Gold, Gold Coast Council, so oh, well, what is something you want to do? I want to go and see this camp. <laughs> yeah, so, so we go there. And so the, this is the story that he told me, right? So he was doing his swim because he wanted to know about the, 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 this ability to control things better, these arousal. So he was doing his swim and 
kilometer or whatever on, you know, in the water. And he had this micro thought for one second, I'm almost there. And as soon as he thought that, he, his fingers nearly snapped froze. Huh. Just that one wow. tiny little lapse of concentration. Wow. Uh, now that guy back then, he pre-existed, you know, the Wim Hof and that sort of thing. Now there was no studies done on him. He defies every single thing we know, yeah. about thermodynamics, the whole box and dice. You know, he's just this incredible, this human being that no studies were done on him. Yeah. And yet he was attached to Tim Noakes, um, you know, the famous news, yeah. um, South African physiologist. Um, he's attached to him and there's no studies ever done on him. That wow. Guy. But the point was he nearly lost, you know, snap froze yeah, his fingers. Yeah, that's crazy. Well. Just so just change So there's a lesson, a yeah. lesson there, you know. And um, and I mean, what could I offer that guy in terms of I can say gloves. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, you know, so he just wanted to yeah, talk wow. because the belief was that you know John had or had altered the way that he was, you know, through his belief system, which was altering very much. He altering his belief system. Yeah. Um, but I didn't quite see how I could transfer that onto what Lewis was already doing, these phenomenal things. But, but the point was, in such a critical circumstances, that one little moment, and how many grand finals have been lost in the last five minutes? Yeah. Because the team had already thought they'd won. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Well, what about the World Cup? How many times yeah. Argentina won it and lost it? No, so it ain't game. over, it's never yeah. over until it's over. And that's the, the point. Oh, yeah. Wow. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Ken. Pleasure. Okay. We'll do it again, we'll for sure. It again. You know it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure. Thanks, for, thanks for coming on.